Welcome to the Healthy Business Matters Podcast, where business owners, HR professionals, and insurance brokers can unlock the hidden potential within each employee by leveraging concierge healthcare. In each episode, your hosts unpack navigating solutions like theirs to drive better employee engagement, productivity, and more importantly, overall quality of life. So grab your morning coffee, start your commute, and welcome your hosts, Nathan Barr and Dr. Andrew White. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Healthy Business Matters podcast, episode two, season two. Big day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I'm, I'm Dr. Andrew White. And Nathan Barr. And today we are going to be talking about hospital consolidations. Man, what a fun topic, Nate. You know, I, uh, <laughs> yeah. if there was a topic that turned me off of going to med school, it was this one. Yeah. Uh, so this is one that you and I have some strong opinions about. Uh, but again, we wanted to, like last episode, if you checked out our episode of EAPs, uh, this season, we thought it'd be fun to highlight some current topics and specifically looking at research articles and things that are being coming out right now so that we can keep you up to date as to things that are going on in the creative benefit space and healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. And so this article that we're going to be referencing is actually from Harvard. Yeah. And it looked into a lot of the claims that hospital consolidations, uh, the, what they say are the pros and why they should do, we should continue down this path. And so today we're going to dive into it so that we're not, you'll probably hear a little bit of our bias and some mm-hmm. of our opinions, but we also wanted to leverage the data. So Nate, you know, you had the pleasure or pain, maybe both, of working in a, a big hospital mm-hmm. uh, where I have not. So this is a topic that I figured I'll let you jump out of yeah. first. And yeah. Then, uh, we can, we can go from there. So how do you feel about hospital consolidation? Do you feel like it's the future? Uh, in a word, frustrated, uh, <laughs> disgusted. Uh, yeah, no, I, uh, you know, one of the things I loved when I was working in a healthcare system was, uh, especially the one I did work in, uh, it was a community hospital yep. oriented towards patient care. It knew who it was and it felt a lot about people, right? Yeah. And so as I went through my career and, you know, for some of our you know previous episodes, uh, you know, things change when, you know, the corporate comes in and the consolidation comes in and I lived it, you know, firsthand and saw it. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things that is extremely frustrating is that you will hear time and time again, as these hospital system mergers and acquisitions occur, is that you will hear increased quality, decreased cost better access and to have data to dispute that is exactly what you need. And so when I, I am not a supporter of, of this movement yet, it is, uh, it's picking up scene and, uh, you know, recent big deals here in the state of Michigan. Oh yeah. Nationally as well. And, uh, you know, the system's going to do what it's going to do, but I think we at least have to bring light to some of the data that surrounds it. And so this Harvard study, um, is fantastic in that it's very objective, right? And so how do we bring data uh, to this topic? And um, and really, I think, advocate from the ground up, not from the top down. And a lot of these businesses, business decisions are happening from the top down. Uh, and so voices get lost. And so bring a voice to this topic and uh, some compelling data. Yeah, so before we dive into the data set, I think it's important to note that I know 
because I own a software company, that you can use data to tell a lot of stories. And data is only as good as the pool that you put into it. And so I think it's important to note that this study, before we get into some of its claims, that it, it was an analysis that included about 580 health systems, which might not seem like a lot in the scope of a country, but it actually of the 580, that includes 40% of all physicians and 84% of general acute care hospital beds. So huge number, massive, huge number. You got a large majority being represented in this study. So I, yes. I do definitely think there's representative of real reality. If I were to scooch my nerd glasses up my nose, I would say this could be called a, maybe a meta analysis <laughs> considering how much data was probably in this. Very much so. Yes, yes very much so. So, you know, Nate, I think, uh, to jump off from one of the points you had made, again, I haven't worked in a hospital, but you experienced obviously some of the claims that you would hear around, oh, this is going to improve the quality of care for the individual. So yep. the first point being, this is better for patients. Correct. Yeah. Then uh, along with that, you could say better for the system and patients. The second claim, decreased costs. Mm -hmm. So yep. what did the study say about consolidation for both those claims? Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at care, consolidated health systems provide marginally better care. Not, not significantly better, not better, marginally better. So fractions better, but significantly higher costs. So you're saying we're spending hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars more on care uh, for populations, yet we're getting essentially the same quality outcomes for this population, which... Um, to your general layperson, if laid out in those terms, probably would not seem like a good thing. Um, and, and I think we all, we all experience it as well, right? I mean, if you're looking at access to primary care, especially in some of these different geographies and settings that these consolidations occur in, um, you know, it takes 26 days to get into your primary care doctor's office. Um, your PCP is not seeing less patients, they're seeing more patients. Um, and then when you go to see your doctor less time, then you're probably getting hit with a $75, $80 copay and an insurance bill behind that that is significantly higher. So I, I don't I can't find many people who are really, really happy about healthcare as it is today. And and uh, I think yeah, you this really this definitely speaks to it. Really? Yeah, right, I, you know? <laughs> I I survey people all the time, Nate, yeah. and they say Gosh, you know, America, home of the best healthcare. Yeah. I feel like I thought that was our new slogan. <laughs> yeah, like right. Land of the free and home of the hospital bills. Home of the hospitals, yeah, hospital bills for sure. High, high bills. And uh, <laughs> no, no, it's people compare our health system too to a lot of other health systems. Probably a good topic for our conversation. But uh, you know, with with our audience, you know, orienting towards how do you continue to find cost reduction measures for representing organizations. And, um, and it's becoming harder and harder. I mean, you're looking at, yeah, geographically, we'll talk about here in maybe some future episodes where, where you live dictates how much you spend on healthcare. Oh yeah. man, what a topic. So I, if there was one piece of content or education that I could get in front of every lay person and employee we serve mm -hmm. is how to interpret your benefits yes. when it comes to healthcare and the 
misunderstanding or lack of understanding that you, that everything's negotiable when you get a big bill from a big hospital system. Um, and if you are listening to this and you're, if, if you feel like I'm losing you or that you misheard me about negotiating, you know, I think just real quick, a brief understanding of Medicare minimums when it comes to what are called CPT codes. Yeah. So again, the CPT codes is the language of insurance. So if you go into my, one of uh, my clinics or you went into a hospital and got a set of x-rays done, let's say, there are codes that are associated with those x-rays. And so when I bill your insurance, I'm not going to send a letter to the insurance company saying, I took John Smith's x-rays. I'm going to send John Smith with a bunch of codes behind it. And that is how I get paid. Now, what you may not realize if you don't know a lot about CPT codes and Medicare minimums, Medicare minimum, that phrase comes from the federal government when Medicare uh, dictates the floor or the minimum amount that a CPT code can be billed for. Now, there is no law that prevents insurance companies or hospitals from going above the Medicare minimum. That is just the floor. So oftentimes when you get a procedure done, the there's an inflation to that code. There are resources uh, that you can find online to see what that Medicare minimum is for codes. When you get what's called an EOB from a appointments in the mail, you'll see an itemized receipt with those codes and then the fees associated with each one. And you can, if you want to uh, get yourself to sleep, you can start to read CPT codes and find those Medicare minimums. But what you'll often find is an inflation. And so when oftentimes uh, in a lot of these mergers and acquisitions that happen in the hospital systems, there can be some bloats that gets added into a lot of this stuff. And I think, Nate, you could probably speak some directly yeah. to some of that. Yeah, if you're looking at health systems, some of the data from this uh, article was showing that health systems, compared to uh, independent physician practices, health systems were charging 12 to 26% more uh, for certain services. And then if you look at kind of these large corporate entities compared to independent practices as well, that number came in flight all the way up to 31% more. And so it's economies of scale. Right? These organizations, their businesses, they're being run to gain market share. If I'm looking at this as a business owner standpoint, I'm like, hey, how do I get uh, more leverage and clout in a market, negotiating power, all these different things? I would do what they're doing, but that's my business mind kicking in. And so the problem is, is that these organizations have a one track mind, right? They're business oriented. They're forgetting their patients who are their true true customers and uh but being left the patients being left behind in that sense so we're seeing that quality decreased access decreased cost increase and this is the business of healthcare just ramping and continuing to go on and on uh, as i was reading this article it really reminded me a lot i don't know if you remember either too but uh like banking industry yeah. airline industry yeah. like this feels a lot like those industries and which are another to yeah. high high satisfaction rates, yeah. you're right? Yeah. Like everybody loves the airline industry and banks, right? right. Like right. that's the- Banks uh, on my side. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. you know, the, just to give context too, I think it can sometimes be helpful. I, I, I just had a conversation earlier this week with a patient in one of our private clinics that when I shared with them that the, the x-rays that we take in our clinic, it is digital x-ray, as top of the line x-ray you, know, you can get. 
the exact same x-rays at a local hospital, the exact same CPT codes, were two and a half times more expensive. It's bananas. It's crazy. And that's just one example that can be very frustrating because for me, what I get really frustrated, I know you do too, about is the lack of transparency when it comes to billing. If you go into a hospital system, it's almost impossible to get quoted a fee before you yeah. get a service done. Yeah. You know, oftentimes patients are unaware of their rights of rejecting a service mm -hmm. if or asking questions as to, hey, why, what is this for? Why am I getting it done? It's often just a, this is the system, this is the procedures we have. Yeah. And that can be very frustrating when you use your EOB and suddenly it's inflated, not only with other things you didn't realize you uh, received or why you received them, but also the costs associated with them. And so again, one of the, I don't know, I'd be curious just to hear from your experience when you're in the hospital, yeah. but I remember when I was pre-med and I was shadowing my family doctor that was purchased, his his private practice was purchased by the local hospital system. And, and really when I was in undergrad was that I would say the kind of the infancy of the really when things started really consolidating quickly in the traditional health system in the United States. And I remember asking him, uh, what changed as far as, you know, cause everything felt the same for me as a patient. Uh, when I went in the same staff, maybe the color was different on the walls, but for the most part, it was the same staff and the same experience for me. Mm -hmm. And he talked about quotas yeah. as a provider. And so could you maybe speak a little bit to that? If as a provider, how a consolidation might affect how a nurse, nurse practitioner, doctor has to approach patient care. Because you mentioned, uh, yeah. you alluded to briefly that uh, pay, the doctors aren't seeing less patients, probably seeing more, more patients. I mean, you're thinking about it from a productivity standpoint. So you'll hear providers talk about RBUs. And so those are productivity units. And as they get more patients, that the patient, you, the patients are a widget in the system. And so how many widgets can I get through my system to produce a certain amount of revenue? And so that visit, whether it's five minutes, whether it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes is typically equal to the same amount of value to that organization. So, uh, especially in my time in the, in the, in the health system, and, you know, in health systems, we talk about this, you know, independent health systems, things like that too. And when we're talking about that, we're talking about these larger corporate entities, um, that have, that have grabbed several hospital systems. And so, right. So you have a, you see a hospital on a corner. That's part of a larger named system, typically. So a Trinity Health or an Ascension, uh, you know, some of these organizations, you'll see a name sometimes on the side of the hospital. That's its own independent moniker. But, but yeah, these or, these physicians now, they're their own independent brands. They can conduct their own business the way they want. So mm -hmm. they have, you know, like, I'm running a business. This is my, you know, P&L. This is what I'm going to do. You get wrapped into a larger corporate structure. All of a sudden, you have all this other overhead that has to be covered. And so your productivity has to go up to uh, balance the scales essentially from that, that P&L. So these doctors are having to meet these productivity metrics. They have to bill a certain amount of revenue. And then there's, there is an incentivization on some of that, those productivity units too. If you hit X, get a bonus, get this, get a bonus. And so, um, but what do you hear out of this conversation? Like patients, quality, like relationships just doesn't exist. Um, and so it, it is pretty sad. And, and, you know, you think from a provider standpoint, oh, I can make more money. It's going to make me happy. 
you're kind of seeing that converse. We're talking about mental health, right? In the last episode, and yep. clinician mental health. And truly, money does not solve mental health. Money is not fixing our problems at all. And what you're seeing is, is that providers are becoming disenfranchised with the medical model because they can't take care of patients and create relationships again. And so these are these are very well-intentioned people. I, like, and when I talk about health systems, I, I don't want... Um, and the providers and the clinicians to be hearing this and thinking they're, you know, um, they're the problem. It's the business model of healthcare that's the problem. I agree. So, so truly, how do we get behind them? Yeah, and, and, and change the change what needs to be changed. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure that we, as we're wrapping up the episode, that it's not all doom and gloom. So for one, I wanted to uh, point out one uh, benefit that the article or the the study did find with some of the bigger systems, which because they're bigger and because they have more resources, they tend to be less vulnerable to the downturns of the economy, uh, specifically, especially around specialized care, which can be uh, hard staff and uh, pay for. But again, the hope cost savings and the hope for a much better product for the end patient has not really materialized yet. And I don't think likely will given as when you have really big organizations, there's going to be more administrative costs. Uh, and the other thing I just wanted to kind of, as we're wrapping up, if you're listening to this and you're a business owner or, uh, and you're wondering how does this apply to me or how do I, how do I run with this? So if you, one thing that I think would be beneficial if you are looking at your benefits for your people, uh, is transparency. And uh, a great way to do that is by getting or having a TPA, having a good uh, relationship. If your broker has TPAs that, because some of the bigger systems uh, or insurance carriers can not always be as transparent as they should be mm-hmm. with uh, data, but there are others that are. And so connecting with your broker and learning more about that, uh, you know, we just obviously you're, we're in the new year now. And so if you were a uh, uh, you had your renewal and one one. It's not necessarily a time you can make immediate change, but it is a good time to start researching. That if you're frustrated, if you had a bad renewal, a big increase, and you weren't able to, if you asked your broker what was wrong, and you weren't able to get good answers because there's not good data available from your carrier, then it is maybe time to ask some questions around. You know, what are these TPA things? Are there, can I get more transparency into where all this money is going, how it's affecting my people? Because when I'm talking to my people, I'm hearing that they aren't getting better care, but they're spending more money. They have a harder time interpreting their medical bills, not an easier time. And so what can I do as a employer to provide benefits to them to start to help them navigate a really complicated system? Uh, also, again, if you uh, haven't uh, thought about different concierge models. And I think one of the silver linings of some of the frustration you were uh, describing, Nate, around the providers as they're experiencing it is that it's it's pushing innovation, right? I mean, you're literally a living yeah. product of, of that, right? Of that. Yeah, I mean, it, and that's where you start seeing that pendulum swing back. And and two, we need, we need hospitals. Yes, like, totally. We need, we need sophisticated care. It's one of the beautiful things about American healthcare is we've created so many great things, treatments, yep. you know, that people had no hope for now do. Um, so that's all great stuff. I, I think the bigger, the bigger component of this is where, yes, as a business owner, how do you offer that access to your employees? But then how do you also 
not become a slave to it either. How do you provide options and yeah, transparency? You got you, you got to have choice. And so, I think as healthcare consolidation continues, it's going to. Yep, just the the, the fact of it. Um, how do you continue to maintain choice to maintain that choice for your employees as a business owner, as an HR professional, as an insurance agent? And so looking at alternative solutions to offer choice, which then I think you can find that happy medium between totally. the two because we need both. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, no, I completely agree. I think it's one of those things where it can't seem doom and gloom. And, uh, and, yeah, but, but there's light and out of, you know, bad things come, come positive things. Totally. Yeah. So we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Healthy Business Matters podcast. Again, just like last week, we will include a link to the article that we were referencing today. If you are nerds like us and you want to dive in a little bit deeper into the data, you know, include a link in the show notes. Again, if you have been deriving value from our conversations, we would love uh, and encourage you to like, subscribe, follow, or share podcasts. It really does help us. Uh, and again, if you have any ideas or thoughts around topics you would love to learn more about or uh, have any professionals that you think would add a lot to our conversations, we would love to meet them. Like last season, we when we interviewed Mike Hill, that won't be the last time we have him on or others like him on. So again, we are always open to those conversations. But again, we hope you've enjoyed this and had some value. We hope you have a blessed day. Thank you.